Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Welcome to Inside Conan, a very important Hollywood podcast. Oh, radio voice. That what? I beg your pardon. <laughs> the voice I usually use is my radio voice. This oh, is my this- real- <laughs> I don't know why I haven't uh, showed it off to you all these years. Hello, Jesse. Hello. Just, I'm here with Jesse Gaskell. Yes. Hi, Mike Sweeney. Hello. We're writers uh, for Conan and some form or another, and uh, we, now we host a podcast. <laughs> now we're mostly a, a, par- a gas. A parasitic We're no podcast. longer solids. No, we are We are gas. We are molecules very far apart from each other. <laughs> this whole season, we've been talking about Conan on the road. Conan O'Brien. Conan out in the wild, doing remotes, going on travel right. shows, and outside Conan. Yeah, we've mostly stuck to that theme. We have. I think we've been... Pretty good for us. I know, stick for theme. sticking to anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been a really fun season, and this is actually our season finale today. This is the finale today. So, uh, I know, oh. it went awfully fast. It did. And it started slow because we right. were also in the middle of filming new travel shows. Right, for Max. For Max, and we we went to Norway, we went to Thailand. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, there's no way we're going to be able to finish this podcast because we're just simply too busy. Yeah. Um, and then the writer's strike happened. <laughs> yes. And now? And now I have nothing but time and I can't believe it's ending. Now we're each doing 20 podcasts. <laughs> yes. I know. I wish this could just- A lot of time for podcasts. Continue. I know. I know. But uh, yeah, so uh, we're kind of up in the air. But, um, you know, and we're, season five is going to be amazing. That's when we're going to- Rewatch every episode. Every episode of Conan. Uh-huh. Yeah. All to... 4,000. 4,000 episodes. Over 4,000 episodes. Uh-huh. It's going to be a long season. <laughs> it's gonna... The strike needs to last that long. Yeah. It, it's got to last 58 years. That, <laughs> I calculated that's how long it's going to take. And if then you... once we finish that, we can go back and listen to all the podcasts and then give commentary yes. on... Each podcast episode. Uh, we'll do the re-listening mm-hmm. of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend episode With director's commentary. Yeah. yeah. And we're covered for the next 150 years. <laughs> uh, but we have a great final episode. We do. For the season. Yeah. Um, it's if, a continuation in a way. It is a continuation. If you listened last season, we ended with a, a special guest named Conan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And, and Jeff Ross, Jeff Ross is executive, long-time, long-time executive, executive producer. producer. And they 
told us the story of the origin story of Conan taking over late night taking way over back from da- David Letterman. Yeah, in 1992 to 1993. Yeah, and they went into such detail that uh we we only got up to the point where it was announced that Conan <laughs> we basically got would take through over the auditions yes. and then Conan got the phone call yes. that he was getting offered the gig. Yeah, and yeah. that's where we stopped. And and it's 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 a pretty great cliffhanger and we're picking up right where we left off. Yeah. I mean, it's a I, I love hearing them talk about it because they both have incredibly sharp memories of that time. Yeah, it must have just everything every day must have been etched in their because it was all I know so you can tell and they were so much they're under so, so much, much pressure. pressure and so this is all about them that summer trying to get the show ready to premiere to and, launch right on September 13th 1993 yeah and they had to build sets they had to start from scratch with with no writer staff and no staff at all and mm-hmm. uh, there was no band they had to put together a band they they were given a s- empty studio mm-hmm. and an empty Floor and five thousand dollars. <laughs> Do show, boys. <laughs> and this get is get to work, designers. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you just see a show appear on the air. I you don't think of. I, I can't imagine yeah. anything or harder than creating a show from scratch, mm-hmm. especially when on thin air. Yeah, you're following late night with David. Lundin. Yeah, and you're trying to not be the same thing that he was, but right. also kind of appeal to the same audience. Yeah, no, you're yeah. Ta- you're taking over for Titan. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And you have to do it in. Like I would three never months. do it. I would never do it. Well, okay, I would do it. Well, let's let's get right into it with Conan and Jeff Ross. Conan O'Brien and Jeff Ross. <laughs> oh, that Conan. Yeah. Here we are. We are back with uh, two of our most popular guests in the history of this podcast. <laughs> it's true. Look at the stats. The metrics. They don't lie. It, we're here with Conan O'Brien and Jeff Ross. It's Jeff- about time Conan was on Inside that, Conan. Right. <laughs> the snake eats the tail. Uh-huh. It's, uh, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's nice. I We enjoyed it last time. It was We fun. came on and... It's like you put us in a trance and we started mm-hmm. regurgitating the crazy story of how we- amazing. How I went from being a uh, Simpsons writer to being the replacement for David Letterman, which was <laughs> one of the crazier stories I will still maintain in the history of show business. Yeah. And I got to tag along. Yeah. not You were you were, you were the, the radioactive spider that bit him. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Jeff's behind all well, of Well, no, wait. Lauren's the radioactive spider. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then uh, Jeff is Aunt May. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that works. It all, it's all goes down to this. It's all in the spider verse. Look into it. <laughs> Yeah, so we got to, last time we had you here, we got to- You had just gotten uh, the offer to host yeah. and take over for Letterman. And you said, yes, you had an, you took over the ninth floor. It was a totally empty office. It was you at one corner, Jeff Ross at the other corner. Mm-hmm. And you happened to be there when Letterman taped his last show down on the sixth floor. Mm-hmm. And so you went down and, you know, it was a powerhouse last show. Springsteen was on it, Tom Hanks. And you went down, I think, and Smigel, Robert Smigel and, and Bob Odenkirk, uh, the, you three went down to hang out. Well, Smigel was down there already. He was, he was down there and he <laughs> called me. Yeah. yeah, Robert was down there and he's a huge Springsteen mm-hmm. fan and, of course, Letterman fan. He went down and he called me in my office. Uh-huh. And this is before, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone, I don't think. He right. just called me in my office where I was sitting there alone 
watching the last show and it ended. And then he called me and said, you really should come down. Dave would like to see you, uh-huh. which I thought I would not, I don't think I would have gone down on my own, but he said, no, he would really like to see you. So I went down. I could see you not going down on your own. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's not quite my speed. You, I worry. You don't want to linger out there in the right, foyer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, so I think we covered all that. I think I yes. went down there and. Well, the way you ended it, the, the way we ended last time basically was Tom Hanks was on the show, came mm-hmm. up to you and you said he, he put his sh- hand on your shoulder and looked right at you and said, I, I wrote it down. Uh, what, this is, ne- what? Uh, sorry, what just happened to you doesn't happen. It never happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He did and, say that. And and then Jeff was saying he didn't stammer as much as you because <laughs> he was because he was sober. Uh, <laughs> I don't have my the, glasses on. I couldn't read. Uh, it. I love that. Well, let me said let me read back to you exactly what he said. I'm sorry, I don't have my monocle in. And then Jeff said they immediately started tearing down. Oh right, yes, they started tearing it down, and that was that's where we left last time. And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there was a moment of walking around this empty studio. It might have been the next day. But yeah. Everything was ripped out and it was just completely empty. It was. And we were just like, this is too weird. Studio 6A was completely ripped out. Mm-hmm. And I maintain, we have, I mean, think about it now. It seems insane to me that uh, I'm completely green. Uh, I've never hosted a late night show. I've never hosted anything. And um, Jeff's never produced this kind of show before. And we're taking over for Letterman. Everyone's upset because of the way Letterman left. They felt like he was uh, denied his rightful position as the Tonight Show host. Yeah. So people were upset about that. To succeed Johnny Carson. Yeah, to succeed Johnny Carson. Instead, that went to uh, that other guy. Somebody. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so there was a lot of Sturm and Drang and angst and... Uh, yeah, I remember very clearly looking at this, Jeff and I are looking at this big, empty, concrete rectangle. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's May. You could look up the date, or I think it's May. It might even be late May. I don't know. Um, probably late May. Sweeps. So Sweeps. it would be late May back then. And then- Sweeps, uh, Sweeps mattered. So if you think about it, we already had, we had a premiere date set because the affiliates needed that, which was September 13th. So we don't have, we think about it, May is almost gone. So we've got June, July, August, and then we have three months and then test shows have to start. Wow. And to this day, I, I think that's just not enough time. It's, <laughs> in, you know, and we didn't have, I didn't have, uh, wanted Robert Smigel to be the head writer, but right. he wasn't signed up yet. And it was a question of whether or not that deal would even happen. Uh, We didn't know what the set was going to be. We didn't have a band, no writers, no sidekick, nothing. And I think, um, you know, I just did this uh, interview in New York with Paul McCartney where he was showing photographs Mm. of, you know, the Beatles in 63, 64, when they're coming to do the Ed Sullivan show. And the point I was trying to make to him was that we all we all look at these photos differently. We look at them as here the Beatles are, and everybody knows it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. So we are watching it with that bias. But uh, and anyone now, when I talk to young people and I say, "Well, I don't, I didn't think I was going to make it," they think, "Well, of course you were going to make it." But they're 
it's 30 years later and they're going by the bias of all I see is your shit right. bouncing around different places and you're just- so they might, they I might, can't I, turn it off this, my right, Samsung yeah, TV. This, yeah, this tired old shoe that's been around forever. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't think you'd become right. a, a shoe? They and, think you're trying to be modest. Yeah, and I and I and uh, uh, it seemed like it was a miracle that we would ever get this together in such a short amount of time. Didn't you think so? We had nothing. It was like- Two, two of us, maybe one or two other people in this cavernous office with no nobody, yeah. empty, empty. Yeah. And um, did you take turns getting each other their lunch? Or? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's your turn. I mean, we didn't. We really didn't have any idea what we were doing. Right. Um, it's terrifying. It, yeah, it was it's terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> and I would go routinely from my memory. I didn't have much time. There's no time. And so there was this order of things that had to happen, which is got to get the head writer first. Mm -hmm. And I knew it had to be Robert Smigel because Robert and I were very, uh, we had worked together on Saturday Night Live. We had done this pilot, Look Well with Adam West. And we could kind of finish each other's sentences mm -hmm. comedically. And uh, I knew we both had this very crystal clear idea of what the show needed to be. And how it needed to be silly and it had to be uh, post, you know, I don't know, post, post Letterman, post, meaning right. not ironic, all this kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, but we had to, there was so much that we had to do. And I remember it was a while getting Roberts. It took, it took a little longer than we wanted to. For, to get Robert's deal yeah, made. Yeah. September And then 12th. no other writers yeah. were getting hired at that point. Right. And so we couldn't hire writers till we got Robert on board. And I remembered it was just, it's just the bureaucracy of deal making and yeah. back and forth. And it didn't happen quickly. And then I remembered at once some one point, a guy that worked at NBC saying, well, let's just move on from Robert. And I thought, you know, meaning this deal was taking a while. So who else will you bring in? And I said, there isn't anyone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just felt like there isn't another, it's gotta be Robert. And uh, man- Well, it did have to be. It did, no, yeah. but, it, it, but, it, but it, I was, uh, all, I was having heart attacks all the time. So did you, did you, when you said yes to, hey, I'm gonna take this over and now you're-, you're I didn't just, say, no, you're, 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 that's a misstatement. Okay. Because to, to be clear- there was no like, would you like to do it? I auditioned. <laughs> right. I auditioned for right. it. Which means didn't think you'd I like would, it. Uh, didn't, and then wasn't sure until I did the audition and thought, God damn, that felt right. Right. That felt right, really right. good. And Jeff was there, and Jeff, Jeff, you know, was running it mm -hmm. kind of. And Jeff came up after the, you know, monologue and was like, Oh, this is, okay. Suddenly, Jeff was looking at me differently. Mm -hmm. Like he's no, not. I, I think I don't know if we spoke about it last time, but I remember. Between the two guests, I forget who went first. I wrote on the, we had a script, and on the back of the script, I wrote, You're killing, mm -hmm. and just right. slid it in front of right. him. Right. I thought it said, I, my glasses weren't on. I thought it said, You will be killed. <laughs> you didn't even need glasses. Uh, then. No, I didn't need That's glasses. Then. Jeff's a great motivator. Right. <laughs> so, what happens is they don't call and bring you into a room and go, right. So, would you like to do this or right. not? What happens is I got a call that said, You've got it. Yeah. You're doing it. Uh, you're going to go on The Tonight Show tonight and be announced. So there was no, right. so right. Um, yeah. it, it just happened. <laughs> and I'm not complaining because I definitely asked for it. But once it happens, it, it's so overwhelming. And yeah, we didn't have, I just was remembered thinking, this is no time at all. Right. Anyway, I think a big turning point was um, Robert's deal got made. 
then we could start looking at packets. Everyone was sending packets in and we were looking at them. I think the first person hired was Dino Stamatopoulos was the first writer. And I remember being elated because Dino, we liked his packet. He had never worked on anything. Mm-hmm. He came in and I remembered exactly which office he had. He had the office right next to mine. Mm-hmm. And he went in and he sat at his desk and started writing it down ideas. And I thought, we have a writer. A writer. I mean, that was that, and he knows how to write. And he's writing something with a pen. <laughs> we're, Lunch we're, you know, like we're on our way. Yeah, I right. was so grabbing at any, <laughs> any good news. Mm-hmm. I was busy running around making believe I knew what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. No, but- I did a lot of making believe. Well, there's one thing we needed was we needed, uh, we needed a band and a set. So I think Robert and I were really focused on getting these writers and you were, you know, saying, okay, because Lauren Michaels is the executive producer. We got to get this set together. And Lauren Michaels had a designer we, named- we, Eugene Lee. Named Eugene Lee. And who Lauren- Who recently passed away. Yeah, who recently passed away. Eugene Lee- uh, um, And Eugene and all his, you know, he came with Keith and Leo. It was a whole there all these people, people that were from SNL. There were a lot of SNL. We had a lot of SNL people at the uh, time helping us. And I remember, yeah, and uh, and obviously which could cut both ways. No, but no, but what I'm saying is they they this began the first major question, which was Robert and I both. We didn't want this to be like a an extension of SNL. We wanted it to have its own identity, right? So all these, you know, when the SNL people came in who were great and super talented, um, the, one of the first things we said to Eugene Lee was, we just want to make sure it doesn't look like SNL. Right. Meaning, yeah. and, and Eugene Lee had famously come up with this uh, design ethic for SNL, which was, you know, sort of urban. Very space, New York. Very New York, outside spaces. Girders, a lot of. So mm-hmm. we Steel. gave him that yeah. mandate and that story will continue later but uh so he goes off to work on that um and i remember for some reason i think someone had given me i have very clear memories of certain things someone had given me kind of like a metal briefcase mm-hmm. that looked like it was made of like aluminum it wasn't that expensive but i had gotten it for christmas like the year before from one of my brothers or one of my sisters had given me this metal briefcase that cooked like kind of like the kind of drug dealer would use in an 80s movie. <laughs> and it, you know, you'd click it open and you'd open it. It was just like this yeah, aluminum case. It should be full of cash. It should be full of cash and it should be releasing a kidnap victim. <laughs> I remember really clearly, I had this office. There was nothing in it, but like an iron desk that I think had been around since like the 50s um, and a crappy chair and then I had that briefcase and I had writer submissions in it. <laughs> You're all set. But I walked around with this iron briefcase and I remembered every night I would leave the office, I would pass 6A and they'd be in there. Uh, but there, You they, should have handcuffed it to yourself. I know, but, so. but every night there was nothing happening in there yet. You know what I mean? It just, it's, and every night I would get getting closer and closer. The studio was just still an empty and I, I would go, I would go home and just think, uh, I mean, I wish I had used recreational drugs. I think that's the way I yeah. could have gotten through it, but I didn't. I just ate potatoes and fried beef. The truth is and, when, you, when you have a set and you design a set, nothing happens for a long time. Right. right. And then when it's supposedly done, it all gets installed in like a day. 
So there was a lot of time where there was nothing there. And, and, also, and it's being built. In a also, we were shop. having, uh, this is, Conan is I'm drawing Conan a rectangle drawing. and I'm holding okay. it up and you can look this up online, but this is a rectangle. And here's those famous double doors that characters walk in and out of right there. And the Letterman setup had been, you know, I think, whatever, desk here, blah, 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 and then audience here, you know, and this is all the audience and everything is angled that way, right? Of course, Robert was like, wouldn't it be cool? Because this isn't going to be enough space for all the great comedy ideas we have. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't we do it the other way? Shouldn't the audience be here and that way... Um, the the desk can be here, and we have all oh, of this wow. room, mm. super wide, super wide. And I remember thinking, yeah, yes, I agree. So the first thing we start doing is we start uh, saying we want to completely reorient the way six A is set up, so it goes a different way. Oh, wow. And of course, we're dealing with Rick Ludwin. And uh, who has also passed away, but was an amazing champion of mine and Jeff's and the show and just late a, night executive. Just a, just a great, great man. Uh, we showed it to him and he was like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> this means you have like next to no audience. <laughs> right, and this right, right. Giant, long, and you, Robert you and I- need are, more characters. More characters. Yeah, yeah. But, and Robert and I were like, well, we just, we want plenty of room so that when, when 35 characters come right, out right, dressed right, as a pope and a right, mule, right. and there's also a cartoon character and there's a Zeppelin, um, there's plenty of room for them. And then Conan can just be in the corner for the occasional guest interview. Um, <laughs> you, also, you also couldn't move the seats. no room for the guests. You couldn't move oh, the seats. Yeah. They were like built in like, they, you know, there was, you know, remember the rake of the studio? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all like, you know, a huge job to reorient the entire. Oh, so that all stayed in. Yeah. I believe... I believe that the, um, yes, the way it was set up was just next to impossible to change around. Right. And yet we were, what are we doing? We have so much to do. Yes. Right, right. And the first thing we're saying is, um, I know this is a great boat, but can we make it a car? Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there, just, was, there was a lot of- There was a lot of that. It was another yeah. one I remember, which is we really wanted to not be in Letterman shadow. I didn't, you know- and, and and Robert would say a lot, I just, you know, you don't want to be compared to Letterman. And right. you think, well, there's no, I'm replacing Letterman. Right. There's no way to avoid that. And there was this sense that I'm going to get killed by the press and everybody because Dave is at the height of his powers and I'm like an amoeba. You know, he is this, <laughs> he's this fully formed falcon that can see 10,000 miles and can an see apex a tank predator. An apex predator. He's a Tyrannosaurus Rex and I'm three-celled piece of algae <laughs> that's just replaced him and I'm going to need a million years to grow a couple of legs. And so um, uh, the funniest thing was, I remember it was Robert's idea. He's like, we should change the name of the show so it's not late night. So we were thinking, oh, wow. and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we came up, <laughs> we came up, we, we start planning and then we come up with the name that we wanted, right? which was uh, Nighty Night. <laughs> Night, yeah, Nighty Night with Conan O'Brien, like, like Nighty uh, Night, which we thought was just really cartoony yeah. and funny and arch <laughs> and kind of peewees play. Mm -hmm. and, play. and so we had a meeting, I'll never forget, in this office in 30 Rock, not in our offices, but a special office that Rick had. And uh, just where they take you to yell at you. Yeah, we told Rick, we, no, we told Rick did. we wanted to meet with him. Uh -huh. 
I don't think Jeff was there for this. I think he knew better. I think he was like, yeah, why don't you guys run along and pitch that? So we went up and we went, you know, we're worried about being compared to Letterman. And Rick was like, well, I have to tell you, I think you'll be compared to Letterman. What should we do? And I said, well, you know, we're thinking we're going to change the name late night. And he goes, ah, well, let me tell you something. That is a, we, we own that name, late night. Franchise. Uh, it is a franchise. It is a very popular franchise. It's been very good to us uh, since uh, 1983 uh, or 82. And uh, it's for 11 years. It has been a uh, benchmark. And I think we own that. We, we wouldn't get rid of it unless there was a spectacular new name. And we said, <laughs> well, strap yourself in. Yeah, strap yourself in. Are you sitting down, Rick? Because here we go. And we said, we want to call it Nighty Night with Conan O'Brien. And Rick started going. <gasps> and, he's, and if you remember, Rick wrote, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Lubin's a very proper uh, exec. Like he's the cartoon of an executive. Again, wonderful guy, but he's wearing a tie. He looks like a- He's like clip art. Yeah, yes. he looks like, yes, exactly. He <laughs> looks like he should, he looks like he should be a page. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he's wearing like a, a tie and his jacket's buttoned and he's wearing his, you know, his chinos and his shoes. And uh, and and <laughs> I, I'm saying it's nighty night. Robert's like, yeah, nighty night. And Rick starts to go, remember this thing he would do? He starts, I think I was actually there. He starts oh. scratching the back of his head and going, <clears throat> uh, Okay, uh, oh, uh, and I think he had tick. thing, and I think I could see like he was tearing flesh. <laughs> and he went, uh, okay, okay, I'll tell you what this. I'll tell you this. Uh, it is late night. It's going to be late night. It's going to remain late night. It is late night with Conan O'Brien. It is not going to be nighty night. And we like back out of the room. And then, uh, okay, so quickly, our, our two first attempts to put our own stamp on this are terribly misguided. Yeah. Uh, but then writers start showing up. We start finding really great people. Um, and I, do, I do remember um, at one point the uh, sound effects guy, what was his name? It'll come to me. And right around the same time, we start meeting the crew and he comes up and he says, uh, uh, guys, you know, I, I was the guy, I'm the sound, you know, I hit the, the crash, you know, when Letterman would throw the pencils so through the mm -hmm. window, I would do the, you the know, crashing. The, the crashing of the, of, the, of the window, the breaking of the window. So if you want to do that, I know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember us both going, nights. yeah. No, it was so funny because <laughs> constantly- That we will keep. Constantly people were you saying- remember that? Yes, I remember that. And I remember also hearing, um, you know, you can do top 10 list sure. because NBC. that belongs to NBC. Right, yeah. And yeah. I thought, oh my God. what are you fucking talking about? As a creative person, I don't want to do top 10 list. And also I'll get, like, I don't want to do it, A, it's a great thing, but it's Dave's thing. What are you talking about? But the, so you were hearing, I mean, first of all, there was, it was so, there was so many misguided ideas. We had, um, some writers started showing up and someone had a cat. So we had a late night cat that was living with us on the floor, oh which is completely illegal. There was a cat <laughs> living, uh, you know, uh, in 30 Rock, the, the art deco. Like a halfway uh, house. <laughs> it was the art deco, uh, you know, shrine to broadcasting. And we've, we're hiring, all the writers we hired had never worked in television before. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but- uh, Odenkirk was part of it. Odenkirk mm -hmm. was, uh, came in and was helping. Uh, Louis C.K. Yep. Uh, was an early hire. Um, Andy Richter, I mean, I've told this story a million times, but he, we heard uh, from Jeff Garland, Jeff Garland said, oh, you might, you, you should, guys should talk to this guy, Andy Richter. He's really funny. He's in the Annoyance Theater in Chicago and he's out in LA. And so 
uh, I think Robert had met with them. So I had to go meet with them. Mm -hmm. So I just met with him at a deli, like in the Valley. And yeah, I remember Andy, you guys eating borscht. He, no, not you okay. guys. <laughs> it was a really hot day. And I walked in and I said, you know, I'll have whatever. I'll have a Coca-Cola and, a, you know, whatever, a corned beef sandwich, mm -hmm. typical Irish, you That's know. That's good for hot weather. Yeah. And, um, and he was like, he said, I'll have the borscht. And I, uh, <laughs> I said, he sounds like Roseanne. Um, <laughs> but then, but, but I remember, what I remember is immediately, immediately, I mean, it's just like a good date. It was just chemical. Mm -hmm. Um, I just liked him right away and we fucked around and talked at the table and I, I left the meeting and I said, I called Robert and I said, we got to hire him. And Robert said, he hasn't submitted a packet. We have to see his writing. And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know that we do. He just seems like yeah. a guy we need. And uh -huh. Robert said, nope, we got to see his packet. So we asked for a packet. Andy wrote up some stuff and we read it. It was good. And so we said, I was so relieved because once Andy showed up, I started to feel like we're, it's like Robin Hood. We're starting to get right. our people mm -hmm. and we have a cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's time to, it's getting later and later in the game to test, start. Test shows. We're not there yet because we have, it's time to see a design for the set. Oh, right. And so. Right. And there's been people off working on this. Well, working on the design. Yeah. So we had said to um, Eugene, Eugene Lee, Eugene Lee uh, I want to say we, Eugene Levy, um, which don't get Eugene Levy to design your set. No, Eugene Lee. <laughs> and Eugene like Lee, again, I will stress, reluctant. Eugene Lee, a very talented guy, and he'd done stuff on Broadway, and he had done all those iconic sets for SNL, so really a brilliant guy. Uh -huh. And he came in and we just kept saying, what we don't want is the outdoor New York architectural, like wrought iron kind mm -hmm. of thing. SNL. SNL. We don't want right. that. The rent set. Yeah. yeah. And so he came in and he had this cardboard thing and it was under um, a blanket, like a blanket. He, he displays it. He <laughs> reveals it. Voila. He yeah. wanted to do a voila. Uh -huh. So we get into a room and it was the room that ended up being, you would know it, it was the big meeting. Con the, the conference, conference room on the other room. end of the hall. Uh -huh. So we're in that conference room. The show is now like, has to premiere in like six weeks. Test shows start in four weeks. And he, Eugene comes in and he says, okay, well, here it, you know, you know, here it is. And um, we're all much younger than this guy. And he's like, okay, well, here it is. You know, he puts it down and he goes, and voila, and he removes it. And it's <clears throat> an iron spiral staircase. It's SNL. It's SNL. It's SNL. It's an uh, SNL set, and he's but it's iron instead of it, copper. But he's it telling, actually leads to that set. Yeah, but he's also he's. I mean, he's telling us this is what we've. I'm I'm going to do, and my heart sinks the minute I see it, and I can yeah. you know all of Robert, Jeff, and then we're just like, uh, and then so I start to say, okay, well, the thing is, it looks a lot like SNL, and we're really hoping to go in a different direction than that. I didn't- I don't think you got the whole sentence No, no. Well, what I did is I said to say like, we don't want to do the mm -hmm. whole, and he said, I'll never forget. I, I said some sentence and Eugene <laughs> went, okay. Well, and he, he was holding it. He said, well, okay. If you don't want it, then maybe you can get someone else to build the fucking set. <laughs> and he tore it up and like threw, threw it against it, the wall. Threw it against the wall and stormed out. Door shuts. Pieces of cardboard on the floor. Yeah. And where I know exactly that it faces south. It's now six weeks out. The designer just 
tore up the set. He's an older guy than me. He's an, adult, he's an adult, screamed at me, ran out of the room. I looked out the window and it's the closest I've come. I swear to God, I thought I could just go. I could just like right, go out the window out. because- <laughs> And I'll, you would you, win the argument then. Have you come win. back and throw you? Yeah. It was the beginning of a few uh, low moments to come. Wow. And there were many low moments to come, but that was- Did that he is ap- a, apologize? Did he- no. Um, well, uh, no, not really. Okay. All right. Not okay. really. Wow. No. That's wow. so dramatic. He did come back. Uh, he didn't really come back. But a year later, after we were on the air. Well, we needed a set. So he didn't do the set at all? No, Keith Raywood did the set. Oh, Keith Raywood did it. Okay. Yeah. So he didn't. So, yeah, we ended up. Now, of course, on our own, we made plenty of goofy decisions because. Right. Exit that decision. And then what do we do? We talk to Keith Raywood and he builds basically. And again, this was a lot of at our direction. He was under the gun and we didn't, he didn't have time. Yeah. So was, the, Keith is, this is not on Keith. And this no, is on right. us saying kind of what we want. And we get this, um, this, this, it's a, like a nice little room. If you watch the beginning of the show, the late night show, um, I still have a lot of affection for it because there's, but it looks like a dean's office. <laughs> and the other funny thing is the color that we went wanted. There's a lot of law books. The, 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 yeah. I was looking for any other job at that point. But the color, the color, the bit, the color was mustard. Right. Now, here I am. You always refer to it as a mustard colored. Yeah. I didn't know. I don't know much about any, Of course, I don't know anything about anything. If, if I know one thing after all these years, it's put a guy with my coloring who's super pale <laughs> but has blue eyes and red hair against blue. Yeah. Um, it just works. Mm-hmm. Don't overthink it. No, say the young idiots. <laughs> the opposite of the color. Who wheel. wanted to reorient the studio, call it nighty <laughs> night, uh, get a cat, you know, um, just making all these crazy decisions left and right. Uh Mustard yellow, and um, I think it just, I think a lot of viewers, when they ended up airing the show, thought I had jaundice, you know? (laughs) I think his liver's failing was the most common. I think think we might have changed it like six months in. No, Uh, we did. No, no, no. no. Well, I mean, you can see, if you see those, it lasts for a while. I mean, we weren't worried about this. We were more well, worried yeah, about but, us lasting right, rather than, right, right, right. we just thought someone else would be on this I guess set. it was the idea of asking for a new set was uh, at that point. Oh, down on like, the list. Yeah. yeah, it was way down the list. But yeah. uh, um, we get we start to get the set squared away. Uh, meanwhile, there's no band. I was going to say, did you have the band yet? No. No, uh, but what happened there was I was staying in Midtown. and the Riga Royal Hotel. At the Riga Royal Hotel. And I have a, I'm looking, I mean, I'm under so much pressure. Oh, so you don't even have an apartment? No. Oh, I have a hotel. Oh, wow. So I'm under a lot of pressure. (laughs) You really weren't planning on staying long. (laughs) I was under a lot of pressure. And I remembered, I never get headaches, but I was getting headaches. And I'm up in my hotel and like trying to figure out how how are we going to get through this? Or how are we going to hire these people? Or how are we going to shoot? What should be the sketches that we do that are going to really represent who we are right away? And, uh... I have a headache and there's no aspirin. I'll never forget, I like asked for aspirin at the front desk and they said, we don't have it. So I went, oh, okay. So I went out and I walked down the street and I run right into Max Weinberg from Bruce Springsteen <laughs> and he's walking with his wife. And 
I recognize him and he recognizes me and he goes, Conan, <laughs> hey, Conan. Yeah. That's what he <laughs> called me for uh, 30 years Conan. after that. Conan. And um, we chatted a little bit and he said, I'm telling you, I could, I, I know how to make, put this band together for you. And I was, I just thought, well, I don't, I mean, maybe he does. He got right into it with you on the street? Pretty quickly. Wow. Yeah, he, he had just, been, had been there for three weeks. Yeah, he'd been, he, he was the, the one hotel. that stole the aspirin from the hotel <laughs> yeah. and said, make sure he walks <laughs> out. Awesome. No, but whatever happened, we were chatting and yeah, he said, I yeah. could do it. And I said, yeah. okay, well, you know, um, I'll, you know, definitely we're looking. And I, I thought, I know that he had, he was no longer drumming with Springsteen. Springsteen had gone solo at that right. point. He had famously uh, fired the band. Yeah. He had gone all Nebraska. What's that? Yeah. No, no, it was just would be Tunnel of Love. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he says he can do it. I don't know much. And there's a lot of craziness, behind the scenes craziness that would take forever to explain. But basically there ends up being an audition. And there's a couple of bands that are put together. And we videotaped them. We videotaped them. And- Probably videotaped. Four or five, really. Yeah. Wow. So we're sitting in there, and I'll never forget. Uh, John Lurie was one. Yep. What's the name of his band? John Lurie. The Lounge, Lounge Lizards. Lizards. Mm-hmm. Was it the Lounge Lizards? I or was so. it a bandy put? I don't remember. Maybe it was a bandy put together. And they were really good, but it was ironic and mm-hmm. kind of um, very hip. It was very hip and very downtown. And I remember like thinking, these guys are amazing, and I right. have a lot of respect for John Lurie. He's great. I remember thinking, I don't know, if that's the way to go. And then we look at someone else, and, there's a, and then. Uh, I hear Max Weinberg's here and he comes in and he's with Jimmy Vivino, his brother, Jerry Vivino. Uh, he's with that crazy horn section, the bass well, player. And, and I- You knew them. I, the, the, La Bamba and Pender, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the trombone player. La Bamba and, of year 2000. And, year 2000 and, and, fame. And, and, and Mark Pender, the trumpet player. When I was Diana Russ's road manager like 10 years earlier, they were the horn, they were the Asbury Jukes horn section, which she hired to go on the road with. So I was on the road with those. I knew them. And I walk in and we hadn't seen each other in like 10 yeah. years. And we, it was like, and I was thinking to myself, I didn't say out loud. I was like, is this like an omen of some sort? Right. Like, yeah. right. They run into these guys. Anyway. So they, they launch into it. And I want to say they played, uh, I think they played the Peter Gunn theme. Correct. And I wasn't, they sounded amazing. Now I wasn't crazy about that because that was a song that G.E. Smith used to play at uh, SNL. Uh, oh, he's doom doom. So a, a sketch would end that had no ending. <laughs> you know, grapefruits. <laughs> right. I thought this was a deli. No laughs. By the way, that would be a sketch that I wrote. And then, uh, <laughs> and then. But then we said, then they said they had something else they could play and they played. They played a few songs. Yeah, and they play this thing that goes, da 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 Sort of a Cajun, like a. Cajun. Everybody. And it was, and then it kicks into this whole thing. It does that and then it kicks into a whole thing. And I swear to God, I was like, this is it. It was obvious. Yeah. And I leaned over to Jeff and I said, buy me this band. Uh-huh. <laughs> like Daddy. no, like yeah. no question. No fucking mm-hmm. question. I don't know this if you remember this. They had a, a second keyboard player. Then. Yeah. There was two keyboards. Mm-hmm. And that when we got into it, it was like, we can't have two keyboards. 
Right. For whatever reason. I just Scott, remember Scott Healy shot the other guy. <laughs> he, he did. It's no joke. Uh, but anyway, um, so suddenly we have that band. Yeah. And then I'm starting to think like maybe there's hope. Uh, and <laughs> then, the band play for an hour. Yeah. And then... Um, yeah, all these little building blocks start, once they start assembling, had to... Oh, and, you know, Lorne, I would weigh in on different things. Lorne Lorn wasn't crazy about the band. Right. He, he didn't have a problem with the band. He just knew that I was hiring Bruce Springsteen's drummer. And he said, the press will go after you for making a 70s move. You know, it's 1993, wow. and this is a 70s move. He said 80s. Oh, I remember. He said 70s. 70s? <laughs> it's like, he, he, pretty big in the But anyway, yeah. uh, he said it's... He's it, trying to make a point. Yeah. Uh, and um, he wasn't thrilled about it. And I think he was also getting some maybe advice that to go a different way. Right. Uh, from someone. And we, I dug my heels in. I dug my heels in on Robert and said it had to be Robert. And I dug my heels in and said it has to be uh, Max and these guys. And Which um, I'm sure it took a lot for you to do when you're there and already kind of feeling mm-hmm. you know grateful to be there. You know what's interesting? Not when you know you're right. Okay. Like that's the weird that's thing great. is if I don't know I'm mm-hmm. right, I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But when you know you're right, you're mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You just, you just, you sensed you it. Just, well, it's also conviction. I mean, there were yeah. stories later on that we'll never get to um, that decisions were made based on conviction and not anything much more than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a real, almost, uh, it was in its own way, very an ideological show. There was a lot of, um, this is what the show has to be. and Almost like a thesis was written. Yeah, it's, well, it was like, if there, there, could be a, there could be a, you know, there could be like a Bible almost written right, about, right. this is the kind of comedy mm-hmm. we do, this is the comedy mm-hmm. kind of comedy we don't do. And I think uh, I felt that way, Robert felt that way. And it's got to be, you know, Letterman's thing, which was so brilliant, was that there was the talk show, which is Johnny Carson. Then there's the anti-talk show, which people thought, which was more Letterman, which right. is ironic. Right. Uh, and then this has to be what's next. And it was almost this sort of postmodern. Right. It's going to be a mix of Pee Wee's Playhouse mm-hmm. and SCTV. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do false reality, I won't wink at the camera right. and say... Like Dave had this way of always letting you know, I'm David Letterman. I'm not buying any of this shit. So people can rant and rave around me. It's but, all happening. But, yeah, but, yeah. It's, but, but um, we all know what's happening here. And our thing was, he's brilliant at that. It's great. But ours has to be, if I'm in the audience and someone stands up and he's a sea captain, I need to completely believe that he's a sea captain. Mm-hmm. Or if a sketch calls for me to be suddenly broke and crying and wondering, uh, and, and at my wit's end, right. I have to really commit to that. Yeah, you right. can't right. break character. I can't break. Yeah. And so there was a lot. We wanted animation. We wanted puppets. We wanted real uh, silliness. And what was really important is that nobody was watching over us. <laughs> oh, right. No, and that's true. Yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were, I mean, no, other than Rick, who was in LA, yeah. we were in New York. We just kept going and nobody was really paying attention. And I think that's, that might be the most crucial point mm-hmm. that Jeff made that because everyone, even if I was not in that situation and someone told me, yeah, they picked a guy who was 29 when I auditioned mm-hmm. 
um, and has no experience. And they picked a producer who's done some work with the kids in the hall, but most of his work has been in music. Mm. And there's no way that they're not all over them. But we were in New York and most of the people are in LA and it's still a little surprising. No one, you guys must have given off some sort of confidence. Huh. Uh, well, at least when they were, when these other well, people yeah, were around. Well, yeah, that's what I say. I spent most of my time faking it and making yeah, like I knew yeah, what I was yeah. doing until yeah, I figured it out. Old. You know who actually was helpful? Morty was helpful. Yeah. Bob, Robert, Robert, Robert Morty, Morty, who produced The Letterman Show. Right. At NBC and then went uh -huh. with him to CBS. Right. It's a close friend of mine and I yeah. was, he would, I would call him about certain things. And his basic advice, advice was ignore everybody. <laughs> that's, that's great which advice. Is, which was true. Yeah. You needed, yeah, because otherwise you let all those voices in. Yeah, yeah. But, we, but, there, but there wasn't even anybody really interfering. It no, was, no. Right. It was, it was, you know. And also, I think there was another element here too, which is, um, if you get too close and it's a disaster, uh, you don't want to get blood yeah. and brains on. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was a lot so of I think there was a little <laughs> bit of a lot of that's. I mean, I'm going to say actually a lot of a lot of. There's me, and there's this feeling of like, this kid could get killed. Right. Literally killed on television <laughs> on, in, in a month. I don't want to be in the blast and zone. And I don't want to be in the blast zone when people say, how the fuck did this happen? Right. right. So I'm happy to kind of hang back. And then I remember another thing from that summer was there uh, some marketing guys came in and told us what their marketing plan was. Ooh. Because they say, no one knows who you are, so we're going to tell them. And it was mostly about how I'm tall. Right. <laughs> and it was this whole, they had these boards like, he's taller than average. He's 6'4". You know, and... Um, he could touch the rim when yeah, he jumps. Yeah, exactly. And I... <laughs> we were, that was another moment where my heart was sinking and I was thinking, when people watch television, they don't care how tall you are. Yeah, it doesn't really translate on screen. It's not really. It definitely doesn't translate. We've learned that. We've learned that. Everywhere I go in life, people cannot believe that I'm yeah. a large man because my personality is that of a very small, petty man. I felt like I was like, personally, I was a like a blender. And I was like the cover of a, you know, when you, when you make a shake and you mm -hmm. put everything yeah. in there and you hold the thing on so it yeah. doesn't. Right become Doesn't a mess. Yes. Right. Yeah. I think I was that. Yeah. Mm. For a long time. I was just holding it all in one place. So yeah. it didn't And like I was a pureed banana. A mess. <laughs> Robert was some kale and protein powder. Uh, Andy was maraschino cherries, which mm. are not doctor advised. Emmy award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem 
of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. I remember uh, some of the moments I remember yeah. a lot from this summer was, uh, okay, this is where the Ford Taurus comes into the picture. I had left Saturday Night Live and gone to The Simpsons about two years earlier and needed a car. So I bought a, um, don't ask me why. I'd saved up all my money. I never bought anything. And I decided I want that. I heard there was a Ford Taurus that had a stick shift. It was kind of- <laughs> Say no, that, say that, no that, more. That was the part I couldn't believe. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I just remember thinking, this is so me. This is uh, right the up there. The ladies with, will love this. This is right up there. Oh, this is a real panty dropper. <laughs> This is, uh, I always had to be that guy. I couldn't just go out and get like, right. I had the money to get, uh, you know, like a, a, a nice BMW yeah. or something. Yeah. But no, I got a, I was like, wait a minute. You got so an it, ironic car. It look, yes, I got an ironic car. <laughs> and I thought it was cool because it has this special engine. It's really, it's yeah. fast. It's got yeah. a stick shift. Mm -hmm. But no one knows because mm -hmm. it looks just like a Ford Taurus that, cool. that a mom would like drive yeah, kids to soccer. Yeah, it's a metaphor for you. Yeah, no, exactly. It, exactly. No. <laughs> Who knows? A, it's a Ford Taurus SHO. That's what I'm saying. Super oh, high output. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was called the show. And so I get that. So then I take that. I have that and it's in the um, parking garage. It's on the south side of across from the marquee of NBC. Um, right. And I remembered I would... And I'll never forget the cell phone would just make kids laugh today. It was this giant, I was, it was the first time I had a, oh, car, had a car phone. phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. cool. Well, I had one installed yeah. and they were some giant. Of us, some of us would not remember those days. Some of us <laughs> <Yeah>. would. <laughs> Jesse, I'm telling you, you would laugh really hard at this thing. It's really big. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And it's like doesn't square. really yeah. work. <laughs> mm. Is the other thing. So it's, I remembered. Because no one else had curly one. antenna on that, the curly antenna on the, on the back of the. Right, right, the right. Oh, yeah. Like a CB radio. So I would, when there was a weekend, I would just get in that thing, that Ford Taurus and just drive because the city was so much energy and nervousness. And everywhere I went, people were like, you're that fucking guy who's going to die in a couple of weeks. And so I would just drive out I of- I saw him while he was still alive. I saw him. You could tell he was going to die. Um, and yeah, I'd see. And so I, I would drive out and my parents had a place in Westerly, Rhode Island, and I would go there. Uh, on the weekend. And I remembered Lauren would call me, you know, to sort yeah. of check in on how it's doing and everything. Have you run away yet? You know, and really Max Weinberg and I'm driving and I'm right. holding the phone, but it's terrible right. technology. And there's probably three cell towers in the Northeast at that point. Right. So he'd be like, and the one thing you need to remember to do is <laughs> and, I'm, and whatever you do, don't. And whatever you do, don't. <laughs> And I think one thing you need to obviously do is, <laughs> and um, I'm also trying to shift. Sure. And you can't shift and talk on this big clunky thing. There's no hands-free. <laughs> so I crashed a lot and it was just a big disaster. And oh, I love uh, this mental picture of you. And then I went to my parents' house and they had this old, they had this white house with just a little picket fence. 
and I get there and I'm, I'm, the show is in a couple of weeks and I've parked my Ford Taurus in the backyard and I'm just sitting on the front porch the next morning trying to stay calm. And I'll never forget this. I'm sitting on the front porch with my dad and there's this little white picket fence that has a little ivy around it. And I'm, I'm just telling my dad, I'm just so, and he was like, well, you know, I think it's, remember it's all going to be okay. And I started to relax a little bit uh-huh. when this big truck came around the corner, <laughs> misjudged the turn and knocked down the picket fence <laughs> oh, no. right in front of us, crashed it, knocked it all down. And, and we're both sitting there and my father went, uh, you should go inside. <laughs> You're a known person now. Like, I shouldn't be oh there in case God. someone comes by. They might go, oh, wait a minute. It's oh, that right, guy who's going to die in a couple of weeks. You know, maybe it's- Was that his fault? It was right, at his right. fault. So I remember going inside and, <laughs> and thinking, this is, an, this is an omen. Yeah. Then, you know, Lauren was like, get a truck in there and right. kill him. Eugene Lee, drive up to- Yeah, it was Eugene. We need you in Rhode Island. You didn't like my set? Well, you're going to die. Uh, so all, things like that were happening all yeah. the time. Oh, I did get uh, an apartment that was right across. I sublet an apartment. You remember it was sixty fifth. It's Park right West. across the street from Tavern on the Green. Right. Mm. Oh, okay. On the park. On the park. But when nice. I look out and I could see the air conditioning fans and all the mm-hmm. lights on Tavern on the Green, mm-hmm. and uh, I used to look out that just window and just think, I don't know. Uh. I just don't know. Um, would you walk? If I jumped, would they shred me? Right, I know, right. I know. Shoot, there's a grate over them. <laughs> God damn. You were, you were going to ask, did we walk to work? Because I lived in yeah. the neighborhood also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do a lot of walking to work. Oh, I bet. It's oh, a great walk. It's also a great way to just yeah. grind through everything yeah. in the morning. And also, it was, some energy. you know, the walk to work became the cold open, which I think was right. really important oh, yeah. because, I mean, that's coming later on, but right. um, it's not time to maybe go over that one yet, but- the cold open for the show is basically me walking to work and people saying, you better be as good as Letterman. Mm-hmm. And that was basically what mm-hmm. I was, it was very autobiographical. Mm-hmm. It was heightened and made ridiculous, um, but uh, it was very true. And, and very well done. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I watched that, it's like, oh, this, you just believe that's, that's why it was so funny right away. Because- you know that's that was what everyone was exactly saying. Exactly well, what your mind was. Yeah. Also, I'll tell you this. I was told in no uncertain terms, do not mention Letterman and don't talk about how you're replacing Letterman mm-hmm. at the beginning uh, of the show and talk about digging in your heels. Right. Mm-hmm. Robert and I write this thing where I'm walking. It's you know It starts with, I wake up. It so says smart. September 13th. I And um, people on... I think we got real people like John Tesh or whatever to say like, well, you know, entertainment tonight, you know, big day, Conan O'Brien's going to take over right. and he better be as good as Letterman. Right, right. And then me walking to work and everyone saying, yep. you better be as good yep. as Letterman. And I just knew that I needed to play it total cheerful. Oh, horse. Like, you know, yeah, my, mm-hmm. this horse. You better be as good as Letterman. <laughs> Broca did it. And, you know, and then Broca come, came in and did this great thing where, and I, it was important that I, just be like, you bet, mm-hmm. like super happy and super cheerful mm-hmm. and not breaking at all. Mm-hmm. And then Brokaw said he would, and he was great. He comes off the elevator and he walks up to me and he goes, Conan, and I just want to say welcome to NBA. And it's a big right. deal, like for Tom, and Tom Brokaw was close with Letterman. So it was right. a very cool yeah. thing yeah. that he did this. Yeah. Yes. He was always great. He's great. He's a great guy. And he, but he walked up to me and went with that incredible voice, Conan, Tom Brokaw. Just want you to know that you know you have my utmost confidence. Uh, whatever uh, mm-hmm. everyone here at NBC uh, is rooting for you, and I say thanks a lot, Tom. And then he says, 
but remember, and he, he screwed up his face and he went, you better be as good as Letterman. And he held up a, <laughs> we, we told him this note, but he held up a saltine cracker and crushed it. <laughs> and then lets all the pieces fall, <laughs> which is what a, what a, but that was so our show. Yeah, I love yeah. that that was in there because it's, it's so mm-hmm. stupid. Um, and our show was all about gravity, gravitas, right. and then deflate it with yeah. a little piece of stupidity and he walks off. But also you you finally get off the street where everyone's saying it to you and you're like, okay, I'm in the building now. I'm, I'm away now. from that mm-hmm. and it's Tom Brokaw. And it's Tom Brokaw. And then I, the peep, the part that was dark, but I think people liked is I go into the dressing room. You're everyone's, whistling. And I, uh, and you, you can't see what I'm doing and then you realize I'm making a noose <laughs> and I'm, get up and I put my head in the noose and I'm just about to hang myself mm-hmm. when they say it would have been Hollander. Hollander. Uh, no. Conan, I mean, it, it, you're on. Yeah, it might have been Hollander. Conan, uh, you're on. And I went, oh. And then I realized there isn't time for me to kill myself. Right, yeah. right, right. And so- Tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, and that's- um, <laughs> I remember. And I, I remember like playing that and being backstage and hearing it kill. Like an audience really yeah. laughing hard. Uh. And that helped so, so much to come out. I remember I was I, I kept thinking I have to show this to Ludwin, to Rick Ludwin. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm. And it's I know he'd be he'll think it's hilarious. Right. Up until the end. Okay. And that I would know that that dark ending. He'll want to pull right, back. That he and and so we sort of waited as long as we could wait. I think it might even I don't think it was the day of the show, but it was late. Mm-hmm. When we showed it to him, and I, and I remember him going, he said, he's like laughing, and then he gets to the end, and he's like, oh, <laughs> and I go, oh. and 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 then he, and he, he, but he didn't like, he went, okay. he didn't say no, no, he went mm-hmm. okay, but he went, oh, okay. I have a really yeah. funny someone. Every now and then, someone will find photos. Someone was taking photos that day. Oh wow! And so we're sitting on Central Park West, where the benches are. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, the stone wall's there and the park is over the stone wall. And we're waiting for the next shot to be set up because that's how I'm walking down to mm-hmm. to work. And there's like, you know, photographers from the post following us and everything was just was back was in the crazy. crazy days. Wow. Everyone's like wondering, what's this guy doing? What's it going to be? And But I'm sitting there. You're on a cell phone that looks really funny because it looks like you're in uh, the Korean War. Uh, it's got like an antenna. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and and you've also got this curly fro. That hair. You got a curly fro, and I look 19. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm wearing the style at the time was this kind of big shoulder. I'm I'm wearing a jacket, but it's got kind of like padding. Shoulder pads. Yeah. yeah. And then like this, you know, wide tie. It was just a weird transitional time for men's fashion. And <laughs> my, hair, Not my like hair is this big floppy thing in front of me. <laughs> and we're just sitting there and we're making this thing. And I was always as anxious as I was and rightfully afraid. And I was always okay when we were making something. And so that's also when we started shooting, getting close to the premiere. We had this idea that we want to do this kind of, because we were kids of, the, of 70s television, um, shows used to say, you know, last mm-hmm. last week on Kojak, and they would show mm-hmm. dramatic stuff. Mm-hmm. So we decided we wanted to shoot very labor intensive but and realistic things last week on Conan O'Brien, and it would and it would be 
me saying to a woman, I'm sorry, my dear, you know, I'm leaving you and she'd throw champagne in my mm. face and I'm wearing an ascot and it was all mm. shot like mm. Dynasty or- Oh, it's yeah. sets across. and locations and wardrobe and guns. Guns. Craziness. We worked so hard on these things and um, shots of me laughing maniacally, Andy, Andy firing guns, uh-huh. uh, me, you know, uh, passionately kissing a woman and- um, then someone jumps in with a knife, exca- mm-hmm. intercut with car mm-hmm. explosions, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And I, the whole time we were making those, yeah. I was happy. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I knew how to play that attitude. That's all right, yeah. I knew how to play, um, frankly, my dear, I have to, you know, that soap opera kind of mm-hmm. bullshit. And, pre- and pre-tapes, you have all that control over it. Pre-tapes, you have control and we were shooting them. And God, when we were doing that or shooting the cold open, we, we, we worked our asses off. We were busy. And we did a ton of preparation. Yeah, no, no, we were busy. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, even the, even when, after we went on the air, it was crazy. It was, right. we were there all, you know, till midnight every day. Oh, we were, yeah. never left. Well, once the show started, right. it's just this. Well, that's a well, whole other yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah, is, yeah. I mean, I was wondering leading up, how much were you banking comedy or right. were you able to? We were banking to? as much as we could. And I will say, we banked as, given those parameters, we banked as an impressive amount. Yeah. And not really knowing what type of thing, you know, like things were too long, things were, right. didn't yeah. make sense. You know, like we didn't really, you didn't until, until you're on the air and yeah. you're doing it, as you guys know, mm-hmm. you don't really know what you're doing. Also, you know? yeah, and we're t- we were testing things out. Like we, we tested out Clutch Cargo, mm-hmm. which was an idea that, um, Clutch Cargo was a terrible cartoon from the 60s uh, early 60s where they couldn't even afford animation. They would just draw the, <laughs> the people and then they would burn their real mouths in. And it was a guy- so clutched, real lips. Real yeah. lips. And his name was Clutch Cargo. And he was like, all right, we better get going. And literally the head would slide out right. and you'd hear like footsteps. Terrible, like, and so we thought it'd be really funny. And we came up with some, we were testing out the Clutch Cargos. We had a lot of ideas. Year 2000 was something that- uh, uh, Robert, this is a Robert idea uh, that we had done in Chicago. Uh, oh, your live at, show at there? The live show there to, uh, a couple of years earlier in the summer of 88. And there was a writer's strike. And so we went to Chicago and uh, made this, did this show. And it was people making predictions about what was then the distant future in the year 2000, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Pigeons will be extinct and bald eagles will darken the skies, which right, is weird, right. you know, <laughs> right, right, like, right. like Jack Handy small, thought, uh, yeah. uh, small thoughts. So we knew we were going to do that. We'll do it with flashlights. We'll do, you know, we had all these, we had a lot of ideas and we were shooting a lot of content. Um, we shot a really funny piece where, I mean, Bob Costas did a great thing for us where yeah, we showed, a, funny. We showed a clip of him. Yeah, because he was doing later with Bob Costas, and he agreed to do a sh- shoot a thing where he's interviewing the oh, the, yeah, the the old tree in Wizard of Oz right. that has a- the old apple tree that ends yeah. up throwing apples. He did a good job, and he was. I mean, <laughs> he's, there's he's a guy good. with great comedy. Yes. Bob Costas has yeah. great comedy chops, and yeah. he was really funny. And along with Brokaw, to get these these guys are established. I'm I'm the I'm the person who really shouldn't be there. And they were also established, and they were they were fantastic. Yeah, they were very helpful. Yeah, Brokaw, then, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, we shot something. 
we had an idea and we started to bring in audiences for test shows. And I remember that was fascinating because people were coming in just basically to see. They weren't told what they were going to see. And I remember- uh, You did them in 8-H, I think, a bunch of them. Really? We, no, we did. Those weren't the test show test shows. Those were like- Pre-test test those shows. Pre-test test right, shows right, right. where they set me up in 8-H and I was literally interviewing like- anybody would grab someone who was in the corner. Right. That was just for you to yeah. practice. That was, being I think Robert was saying like, that's where you first played around with Andy being yes. sidekick. Yes. yes. Ah, yeah. And I remember, so we were there and those weren't really, those were just kind of for us. But then we brought, we started bringing in audiences and I want to say we did eight of them. Probably. We might've done four and four. Cheryl Crow did one of them. Cheryl Crow did one and she was a complete, I mean, talk about me being an unknown I said, like, and who's the musical guest? And they said, well, she's an elementary school teacher, uh, uh, but she's got an album coming out because she's been, you know. She was a backup singer. She was a backup singer, but I think she also had a gig teaching or something. And she's, and uh, you know, it was, I mean, she's a bank teller or she's yeah. a, right, right, right. a blacksmith. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, she's beautiful and really, uh, she sounds good. Yeah. But she's um, got something. Yeah. And so she did a test show. And we were getting the craziest people to do the test shows. It was yeah. uh, Mickey Rooney yep. did a test show. Grandpa Al Lewis oh. from the Munsters did a test show. <laughs> and he's the first person we try to clutch cargo out on. Yeah. And so we thought it'd be fun to have Herman drop down. Right. And mm -hmm. say like, oh, hi, Grandpa. Right. And we didn't tell him about this. And what we didn't know or we hadn't really thought it through. Uh, we, we, I, mean, I think we mentioned to him something like this would happen. He's like, fine, fine, kid, fine. So um, Fred Gwynn, who played Herman Munster, had died like that summer. And you know, like literally two months before. And so uh, the screen comes, Al Lewis is talking and he's got his big cigar and the screen comes down and go, we got someone you want to talk to. Mm. And we just thought it would be about you talking to Herman. We weren't, and he went. Right, the character. The character. Yeah. And that he'd be like, oh, Herman, you idiot. Yeah. And they'd go back and forth. Right. It'd be a lot of fun. He starts immediately going, what are you doing here? You're dead. Oh. <laughs> You're dead. I saw you in your box. You're dead. Oh. And then he said something that to this day, the audience just gets quiet. And he goes, who'd you make it with last night? A warm? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm like Andy's. Andy, Andy's been. Who'd you make it with last night? A wine. And I'm, I'm. And then the guy doing doing Herman Munster's like, oh, 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 Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. How can you talk if you're dead? You had cancer. You know, it was just. And then the, the first rule of improv. It, yeah, first rule of improv is call out death. <laughs> So the thing goes up and oh my God, I, so there were, I remember the very- We're going to tinker with that. The very first test show went really well. And I remember being elated thinking this isn't so hard. Right. Yeah. And then I think the second test show was not good at all. Yeah. Oh. That sounds classic. And uh, then Love the averages. third test show was rough. Right. And right. Um, it- was a lot of huddling, a lot of trying to fix things. Um, and then a lot eventually, of, it's like, oh, it's tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. And no one no one saw the cold open until the night. No one, I don't, yeah, think, I don't so. think we showed anybody so. the cold yeah, yeah. open, oh, yeah. which actually became kind of a tradition because right. we 
I pride ourselves on our pride ourselves on our cold opens, and we right. never showed them mm-hmm. all those years. All those cold opens when I would travel shows, when I would do the Emmys, when I would you know we never showed any of that stuff to people. We always wanted to wait. You didn't even want to show them in rehearsal. You're no, like, oh. yeah. no, no, like don't waste. If there's any magic in laughs. it, if there's yep. any magic in it, if there's any gold dust on that thing, just let it all come off. And if you really like it, then it's like, yeah, we don't need to test this. We right, we would test it in, internally. Sure. On yeah, people. Like the writers watch them or, or you'd call in some Yeah, I'd call in Paula Davis. Show, I'd exactly. call in different yeah, people yeah, and yeah, we'd... Yeah. And then also, I should bring, I mentioned like there were people that were hired that summer that are still with us. Yeah. So yeah. I remember right. one of the first people that we hired was, Jeff came in and told me, uh, it was just a total coincidence, but he said, uh, I, hired, I hired Paula Davis to uh, to be the booker. And I thought, wait a minute, I know Paula because Paula had worked at Saturday Night oh, when Live yeah. when I was when there. there. And I remember- She was like a teenager, I think. I remember <laughs> walking in, meeting Paula in 1988 and chatting with her and thinking, she's, she reminds me of my sister, Kate. She's really, mm. she's really funny. She's uh, got something. She's, she was like quick. And she, she and I were going back and forth. And I was like, I like that Paula Davis. Mm. And then- you know, I, I, we see each other at SNL, but then I move on. I go on to other things, you know, and then now I'm hearing Paula Davis and I thought, that's great. Oh, good, yeah. Jeff. I like Paula Davis. And then you came in and saw me like uh, maybe just a couple of days later and said, I, I, got us a, I got us a segment producer. And I said, who's that? And you said, his name's Frank Smiley. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute. I know Frank Smiley. Total coincidence, I had been at a party when I was on The Simpsons in LA and it was this big party mm. and I got introduced to this guy who was very memorable named Frank Smiley. And I was- it's a great kinda, name. And I was kind of doing shtick with mm-hmm. him just as yeah. a Simpsons writer and a guy who does shtick 24-7. Mm. And I remembered him kind of not like laughing, but not giving it up all the way. And then uh-huh. kind of giving me like a, yeah, you're not bad, kid. You're not bad. And I was, and so you told me you hired Frank Smiley. And literally, I just know him as a guy I met right. a year before at a at a mid-Hollywood party where there was a keg, you know, yeah. like some mm. dumpy party. And, uh, and so things started to congeal. Frank Smiley still with us here today. Yeah. Paula Davis still booking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 30 it's years later and I can't shake these people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff's still here. Max um, Schaefer just hangs out. I'm a bad cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were the original COVID. I just, there's nothing I could do to... And then um, there must be, there's a couple of people who've been there almost that long. I don't know who else is in the... Jim Pitt was hired that summer to do yep. music and yep. he still to works yep. with yeah. us yeah. Uh, yeah. on on the podcast on the, on the podcast radio, radio channel anytime mm-hmm. i'm talking to anybody in music or doing yep. any of that stuff yep. that's uh, jim pitt mm-hmm. and we um he was just with me in new york when i uh, interviewed paul mccartney mm-hmm. for the you know podcast and i think oh we've been doing this for 30 years it's crazy yeah. uh it's not late night anymore but it's all the same to me at this point. Right. So anyway, that was, this gets us to, and it might be a good place to, to stop. <laughs> yeah. This might be a place that like the, the test shows, mm-hmm. all the madness. We haven't had our first airing yet. Yeah. No. The, the, the first airing hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, and maybe we save that for the, 
Sure. Next yeah. time. Right? This is a good place to cut it. it but mm-hmm. I will say there was some crazy shit that happened. There was a reporter, I think, from USA Today who snuck in. Yep. Ooh. And that's not cool. Like, you're not he supposed to, to do that. wanted to make a pie chart about you. Yeah, and it wasn't a nice pie chart. <laughs> so this guy came in and looked at a test show oh, and wrote yes. a review. And I want to say his name is something Frazier. Huh. Yes. I think he was an AP or he, he was. either AP I, I or AP might not be USA Today. There was a lot of apologies that came after that. But you, you, you had to remember there was a different time because it was a time when a newspaper critic could had like, you, could like meant really a great amount of yeah. power. It meant something. Yes. It really, I mean, today mm-hmm. you wouldn't think that much about it. Your feelings would get hurt. But this guy snuck in, you know, you don't do that for Broadway shows right. until, yeah. until they invite the critics. Yes. And this person came and, and wrote a review saying, this, you know, I hate this. And they mentioned and, worms. And I, no, no, but he didn't see that one, but he, he said, Frazier Moore. Frazier Moore, yeah. Frazier. And he went after Andy. Oh, boy. In a way that was not yeah. uh, cool. And I think, I mean, Andy could tell you this, but I think later on he reached out to Andy to go, like, hey, buddy. And Andy was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, man. That, yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, that was not good. But the, the test shows were, horrifying. And then this gets us right up to, I think we took the Friday off. I want to say we took the Friday off. We had a Saturday and Sunday. And I was, uh, it's so funny because I was just back in New York and I always pass the old haunts. And I walked right past where I lived. And I remember my friend who I met in college, I'm really tight with Eric Reif. He hung out with me on the Sunday and we like took a football and just tossed a football back and forth in the park just so I would, wouldn't be alone and I could unwind. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered us walking back and it's Sunday. So the show is going to be tomorrow, the next day. And I'm walking up to my, to my uh, apartment across the street from Tavern on the Green and run right into Eric Mink, who was the New York Post. TV guy. TV guy. And not a bad guy or anything, but just it's the New York Post, which is, you know, can can be uh, at the time, uh, can be real tough. And I saw him and he just looked at me and he said, are you ready for tomorrow? Oh. Like, <laughs> oh my God. here I am uh, just trying to, uh, and I have my football. Yeah. Uh, and I went, yep, I think so we're ready. Long. Yep, I think we're ready. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, good luck to you then. And kept moving. And I thought, well, there goes my, there was my fun night out. Yeah. Uh, but I will say <laughs> that- He's just lying in wait for it. I know. I don't know if this is a- just to get you up to that day, I re- read a book, slept like a baby that night. Wow. Mm. No idea. Well, this is what I remember. It's crazy. We were, that first show, we were loaded for bear. Mm. Mm-hmm. And to this day, you can look at that first show, but there's the cold open. Mm-hmm. We had so much prepackaged comedy. We also had so many great, funny ideas. John Goodman. A lot of guests. George Went, Drew Barrymore. Tony Randall. Tony Randall. And he and I were going to mm-hmm. sing Edelweiss. Yep. And there were going to be Nazis in the audience <laughs> yep. crying and nuns. And uh. I mean, it was, we we just put everything into that to make sure that that first show yeah. was fantastic. So I remembered, I just wanted to, uh, It's there was a, a famous convict who petitioned He's like, I don't want to do life in prison. Gary Gilmore in the 1970s. He said, I just want to be executed. Mm-hmm. And so they finally, the Supreme Court, because they weren't doing any executions anymore, finally said, okay, 
you can die by firing squad in Utah. And so I'm going somewhere with this. They, there's this moment for a while where Gary Gilmore got to talk to his family and everything. And I never forgot this. He, um, he just looked at them at one point and said, let's do this. Mm. And got up and went out and sat down in a chair and got shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And I remember having, I, this is a horrible comparison, but I remember thinking, let's do this. Like if I'm going to go out, I, it's time to find out. Mm-hmm. It's time to find out because I can't live like this anymore. It's been months, months of who is this guy? What's it going to be? Yeah. Hi. I think we were blessed by the short amount of time in a way. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. You would yes. Yes. Fill oh, as, you would have as filled much time. The space. Yeah. Exactly. No. Exactly. Been, we would have. It would have been worse. We would have built it in the round. We would have called <laughs> it night. <laughs> that's night. right. That's the right. Would, the globe right. theater. The cat would have had Andy's part. Uh, <laughs> you know. No. I, I think that is exactly right. We yeah. didn't have enough time, which is as it should be. Yeah. 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 And so, um, which is what these shows are. Yeah. Those shows are right. right. It so continued next, once it started. Next time we. Uh, we talk, I guess we'll go from, we'll, we'll start at the first show, mm-hmm. September 13th, 1993. Yeah. Wow. Nighty night. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Nighty night. Nicely done. Beautiful. <laughs> talk to you in a year. You got us out. Now I want to see that show. Well, thanks to Conan and Jeff for joining us. I mean, I feel like we were kind of joining them on yes. that ride. Yes. I, I, I almost started to, talk at one point and Conan was just like looking at me like, yeah. you're going to interrupt this? I'm like, all right, just go. Yeah, I got. Some, I thought I got some good uh-huahs in there. <laughs> some of my best uh-huahs. It is a great story though. I, I have not. I, it is. Yeah. I just well, and I don't wanted, think that exists anywhere else. It's no, um, this it's oral like, history that's being I love it. cataloged it's only great. here on Inside that's Conan. That's right. And um, again, with our rewatching uh, season coming mm-hmm we can get up to the next chapter of Conan That's right. and Jeff. Maybe we'll get to October of 1993. That is my dream. <laughs> I'm telling uh, you, we're in business for hundreds of years. I, yeah, as long as we keep them talking. Yes, and we keep them alive. Somehow. Yes. <laughs> Lots of electrolytes. Yep. Um, well, hey, and uh, we're still taking listener questions yeah. for hopefully a next season. Please. So if you have a question for us, Give us a call or just, you know, you could call and just compliment us too. That would be great. Uh, 323-209-1079 or email us at insideconanpod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, you can support us by rating Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. And so this is farewell for now. Farewell, but I'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. Yes. And uh, to everybody still with us, we love you. We love you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Our producer is Lisa Burr. Team Coco's executive producers are Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Nick Liao. Engineered and mixed by Joanna Samuel. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis with assistance from Maddie Ogden. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan or an enemy <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. I'm not going to tell you what to do. 
put on your hat, it's the Conan Show. Try on some spats, you're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf, it's Conan. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.